You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children. And welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. So today's conversation is a little bit of a follow-on from one that we did the other week where we spoke with CJ and she talked to us about her journey with postpartum psychosis and how her journey linked up with radiance. And so today it's really exciting to talk to you to get the other side or another part to that story because you are one of the founders of Radiance. Yes, yes. Been there since day one. That's amazing. And so I want to start off before we dive into Radiance. I want to hear a little bit more about you and you as a mom and as a mental health nurse and a bit about your journey. Okay. Well, I'm um, a mum of four children, three beautiful boys and a girl, all young, beautiful adults now. I'm also a grandma to three beautiful grand boys. I've always been a nurse, so I started nursing when I was like 17, straight from school, dived straight into nursing. Um, absolutely loved nursing, always wanted to be a nurse. Um, in the year 2000, I had a bit of a back injury and at the same time, my daughter had anxiety and a bit of depression and I just got really frustrated about about the mental health system, um, trying to get some support for her. And also with my back injury, I think it was just a new time to reinvent myself. So I went back to uni and became a mental health nurse. And that started my journey uh, working in the Bunbury APU. And at the time, it was a pretty tough job, but I actually really loved it. I felt I had answered a lot of my questions and I was able to support my family members better and my community. Um, But at that time, my husband actually started studying life coaching and he started um, sharing some of the things he was learning. And then I said, oh my God, that's something I really want to do. So I jumped in and started studying life coaching as well. So then I became a life coach and I started using the tools that I was learning as a life coach in with my clients when I was working in mental health and I really started to see a shift in the way they progressed so it was sort of a match made in heaven and at the time uh, while I was working in the mental health world I saw a job advertised as a motivational well-being life coach and I was like oh my god when does this ever happen and it was only a six-month contract at the Southwest Women's Health Centre in Bunbury so I went for the job even though I still hadn't finished my life coaching course Um, but they took me on for a six-month contract I was doing the job I loved working with women working with community using all the tools that I'd learnt along the way so yeah I left my government contract after like 25 years for a six-month contract because I just found my thing I found my passion I felt really driven I felt really supported and yeah that I was on my way of doing something I really really loved so from then uh, that's where I got involved in I was working in a Uh, program with LAMP at the time and yeah they just got this funding from CJ of $15,000 and it was to be used for um, in the perinatal space for women in the southwest because there wasn't really anything down here so we basically sat around the kitchen table at LAMP in Bustleton and brainstormed a few ideas and I think one of the workers at the time actually came up with the word radiance and we were just like oh my god that's it that's it Um, We loved it. So yeah, from there it was born and just from the kitchen table really. So then I went back to Women's Health and told them about the project and they put in for a grant for 20,000 to give me one day a week for a year to work on the project to uh, do a pilot project in the Southwest. So that's how it was born as a pilot project working in Bustleton. That's amazing. Leaving a job that you've been in after such a long period of time 
I'm sure can be very scary, but it's definitely one of those times where you've trusted your gut instincts and you followed your path. And that's obviously was the path that you were meant to go on. I want to know what it would have been like when you saw that money come through from CJ. She said she did a fundraiser and she got that money together and she didn't know what to do with it. So she basically dropped it off or however it came to you. What what was, what was happened when you saw that? Well, the $15,000 she donated to LAMP to be used and we thought, wow, okay, how can we use this best? And then we thought, well, we probably need a bit more because I think we just thought, well, we'll do a pilot project for Bustleton. But my initial almost immediate reaction was if we're going to do this, we're going to have to do it really well. I want to brand it really well. I want the brand to tell a story. And I think the first place to start was to get a really great website and really beautiful branding that actually really told a story of who we are. And I really wanted it to stand out. So when people recognize that symbol, they'd go, oh, that's what it is. And that's what it means. So we knew what we would do with it at the beginning. But yeah, we thought, wow, we've got $35,000 now, but it didn't go that far. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think once it all, um, you start planning and putting everything into action, it quickly adds up, doesn't it? Yeah. That's no small feat for you to start such a big foundation. Is that sort of just naturally built into you to be someone that would grab and go and run with a project? I think when you find your passion and you just really know, like hearing CJ's story and yeah, once I started having conversations with people and also, I guess, working in the mental health field for a while, I sort of knew that there was a gap in services in the Southwest. And I also knew how important this work was. I just think if we get that first, you know, thousand days right working with our parents, then, you know, that's where the magic really happens. So I was always pretty passionate. I'm always a pretty passionate person. Whenever I do something, I throw all of myself in. I can't help it. I just get, I almost get like excited and I'm just like, oh, I get really driven. Um, So sometimes I have to bring myself back. (laughs) But, you know, I didn't have to do this alone because there's a whole community of like-minded, amazing women behind me. So, you know, we had a community consultation in Bustleton and I remember there was 35 odd women turn up mums and service providers that were also passionate about this working in the space. So from that moment, that very first consultation, you know, about 12 of those women came on board and they formed our committee. So we were you know, we were together from that very beginning. That's amazing. And you said about the branding and the name Radiance and how it sort of um, was so important for you that that was all right. Radiance has a very beautiful, nice, nurturing feel to it, a really nice community of women that's very inviting. It's, um, yeah, quite different. From the very beginning, we became um, a not-for-profit, not-for-profit organisation and we were incorporated because we knew that we had to do all that groundwork properly from the start. So we had some amazing people help us on that journey. Like it was just, every time I met someone, it was just like in line. Like I had a coffee with the, at the time, the manager of Anglicare and she was just such a firm advocate. And then she put me in contact with another lady from Parenting Connections. And then, you know, they put me in contact with someone else. And it was just this line of people wanting to help because they heard about it and they were like, well, I'll help you. I'll help you. This is what I'm good at. And that's the journey that we've been on and it continues to thrive like that. And it gives me goosebumps every time. And so for those that are listening and don't know what Radiance is or what it does, can you talk to us a little bit about what Radiance does and um, 
what your current role is there? Yeah, so I sort of nicknamed myself the bus driver because I just drive the bus and, you know, direct people (laughs) where they need to go. But, um, yeah, I guess I'm the manager of um, the network. We support parents like transitioning into parenthood. So sometimes we support mums in um, before they've had the baby if they're just struggling with that transition into parenting or even pregnancy and just, you know, anxious or just feeling low or just needing some support in that space. So we'll support them right from that perinatal time. Mm -hmm. So basically we have a three-tier approach. So the first tier that we provide support for is um, the website. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel because there's amazing websites out there that we've already linked into, like Panda, like Cope, like the Gidget Foundation. They've got all the resources. They've done all the research. We didn't have to reinvent that. So we tap in and update our website with everything that they provide if you go on our website. But we've also wanted to do local. So we type if you type in Bustleton, it shows you all the support services that are linked into this space in Bustleton. And now, you know, we we offer support in Bunbury, Margaret River, Collie, and going down to hopefully to Manjum Up in Bridgetown soon. The second tier is we offer the support groups. So the support groups, um, they're non-clinical, so we're not clinical providers at all. Where we offer a support nurturing space run by peer support workers where parents can come, feel heard, feel supported, feel nurtured and just breathe out that day of the week where they need to. And then the other tier is our Radiance Intensive Group and we named that Mother Baby Nurture. When we branched out into 2018, I heard about this amazing service that they're running up in um, the metropolitan area called Mother Baby Nurture. So I contacted the founder of that Um, There's two ladies up there that made this amazing program and it's a real intensive 10-week program working on the um, interaction of mother and baby at the very beginning and it's for the mums and babies to build on that connection from birth. So the parents can go from zero up to six months before the baby's crawling. We trained initially three facilitators and they've been running Mother Baby Nurture in Bustleton for the last three years. Um, in real close connection and building up partnerships with Southwest Counselling. So that's how we've really got to where we've got. We've worked up really solid partnerships with our partners because you can't do this alone, this work. We have, we've run this on the smell of an oily rag. We've, we've worked tirelessly, the committee all volunteered their hours until we got that recent funding from the Mental Health Commission. Every term we've just been doing fundraisers. CJ's done another big close swap, always asking for donations. Yeah, it's, but we've got there. And so if someone um, wanted to do the mother, um, mother baby nurture program, what sort of person can do that and how do they sort of enroll or? get involved so those referrals can the mums can self-refer so they're usually told about that program when they've had their baby so all the midwives at the hospital know about it all the child health nurses know about it so that i would love every parent to do the mother baby nurture course it's free and it's run by two trained facilitators we've just trained some more for bunbury so yeah they can self-refer or they can get referred it it doesn't really matter and it doesn't have to be someone who is um suffering with major anxiety or depression no mother baby nurture can be for any mum it's really good for first-time mums you just don't really know about Parenting's such an interesting thing. It's something that you think you're prepared for, but when it comes, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was going to feel like this. So it's breaking down all those barriers. It's building up the confidence in your parenting as well. Um, 
it's just a beautiful, beautiful course. Yeah. I mean, in those first months or the first year, it, it definitely is a shock to the system. I imagine most women do have, um, some level of trouble, I suppose, or, um, there's definitely anxious moments and there's, it's just a whole shift. It's a complete major transition heading into motherhood. And I suppose like we hear often, we don't have that same kind of community that maybe way back in the day we used to have where we were more involved with other women and their births in that um, recovery period. And we don't have that so much. So does this program, I suppose, kind of try to build that a little bit? The mother baby nurture program is when the mums go initially with their small you know really young babies I think it's the 10 week it's quite structured it's a very structured program and each I I haven't done the training myself but each week there's a different topic and a different thread if you like but I know they do this thing called wonder watch where they really get the mums to trust their intuition and they do this thing where they just watch their baby and what's their baby saying to them and just getting that eye contact with the baby and it's it's called wonder watch and all the mums just say wow you know, giving them the time and the space to just sit and just really watch and connect with their baby. You know, I think that's there's magic in that. And um, the mums just say it's it's really rewarding. And they actually film the mums watching their babies and then play it back to them as well. And I think that's really beautiful um, for the mums. So even, I mean, you can pick up the mums that are maybe as connected and then they can work with them on that as well. So, yeah, it's just picking up. All those little early cues on the way and yeah, pretty magical, I think. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> I wish um, I wish I had done it now, actually. <laughs> yeah, it, no, that sounds beautiful. I kind of want to um, move then a little bit into if somebody was um, maybe having more trouble, maybe having more postnatal depression or psychosis or anything like that. If you were a support person and you or a friend of somebody who um, – came to you and set, were showing signs that maybe they weren't coping. Um, firstly, what would be some of the signs that they would show? And secondly, what's some things that that support person could do or say to help them? And there's so many different areas of perinatal, you know, there's so many layers because, you know, there is perinatal anxiety and depression, you know, there's things like postpartum um, psychosis, and then you've got the post-traumatic stress disorder as well which can be brought on by a traumatic birth um, so there's so many different layers you don't have to be a trained professional I think if somebody it's sometimes it's really hard for parents to actually ask for help um, you know there's a lot of pressure on parents to do everything right to do everything perfect you know they're reading it's almost like information overload for parents they have to tick all these boxes oh my god my baby's not doing this i'm not doing that i don't look like this oh i'm not supposed to look like that i'm not supposed to feel like this oh my god i'm feeling this you know it's there's a lot of pressure these days put on parents um with social media and information overload really so if you're noticing first of all, and they haven't said anything to you, but you're noticing that that person's changed in any way, like they're more irritable or their mood's low or they're crying all the time or, you know, if some of the, you know, there's lots of signs and symptoms you can look out for. Sometimes anger can be a thing if the person hasn't been angry a lot and then all of a sudden they get really angry or they're just inability to cope with normal things. So anything that is not normal for that person and you've noticed a change I mean, you can explore that with that person in a really gentle, beautiful, compassionate way. And if you've already got that relationship with that person, then 
I think you just need to troll, follow your intuition and your gut. If something doesn't feel right with that person, then you're probably right. And that person's probably just not asking for help. Or if they're really unwell, they might not have noticed it themselves. Because sleep deprivation, a new baby, you know, all the fear that goes with that, especially in these times with COVID and not having maybe not having your partner or not being able to see your obstetrician or your midwife as much leading up to it. Um, there's a lot of angst and a lot of anxiety around all of that anyway. So if someone comes to you or you're not, if you've noticed, as I said, something's not right with that person, then, you know, just sit down with them, make them a cup of tea and just have a conversation, you know, be honest, be real and just listen, you know, listen to what's not being said, you know, just sit with them and hold space and take your time. And, Mm. you know, if you really do that and really connect with that person, they're going to open up and be honest and real with you. And I think that's my message is, you know, it's okay. You know, you can say to them, it's okay to feel this way. It's perfectly normal. Reassure them. You know, you're not the only person that's felt like this. I think that's what a lot of our mums say. When you say that, you know, we say to them, it's okay, honey. Like they come and they just start crying. You can see them just offload. They're like, what? You mean I'm not crazy? Like I'm not, you know, is this normal? We're like, yeah, it is. It's okay. But you know what? You'll get through this. We can help you get through this. Just by you sharing that with me, you being honest and real, we can get through this together. And I think as somebody, as soon as someone unloads and they know and they know that you know, there's a lightness in that. It takes the heaviness off, you know, and then just say, you know, what else can I do to help? What's going to make you feel safe? How can I support you in other ways? Can I cook you some food? You know, do I need, can I look after your baby so you can get some sleep? Um, is there someone else that I can get in? You know, a family member can ring your mum in Perth to get her down because you haven't told her that you're not coping, <laughs> you know, because sometimes they don't want to share that with their loved ones. You might be a friend that's just called in with a meal and they, you might be the person they unload to because you've noticed. So, yeah, it's I just think just doing it gently and with compassion. Mother's groups that the hospitals offer and put on, that's one of the first places I think where that pressure can come into play because it's everyone's a new time mum and everyone's seeking information from Google and all other sources and then you all come together and you're all giving advice to each other and no one's done it before and it can be disastrous, I think. It can definitely put pressures that shouldn't be there. Um, and then you've got all the marketing that comes into play with sleep schools and all those sorts of things as well and that's a whole nother added layer, I suppose, to all of it. Is there anything that um, people should avoid saying to somebody who's opening up? Look, I think the most important thing is to remember what to say. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess the worst thing you could say is, oh, it'll be all right. It'll get better. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You'll be fine. And just off the cuff sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's brush it off. not always what you say, it's how you say it. I think if you just hold that space, they're saying something to you, then stop what you're doing. Really listen. Because if you really listen with your eyes, not so much your ears, but with your eyes and your ears, you'll see and really look for all the unsaid things that they're trying to say to you. Because mm-hmm. your body language will tell, even if you look at someone without them speaking, you know whether they're having a good day or a bad day. If you yeah. actually really sit down and hold space and really connect with that person and give them the time. So it's not really what you say, it's what you do really. Yeah. How you are, the state of being with that person. Just really open up and make sure you're that person. That person's going to trust and be compassionate with no judgment. Actually on that point, 
about just listening and holding space. I think often when someone tells you that they're having trouble with something, our immediate response can often be, let me fix it or trying to give advice quickly to fix it. And like you said, maybe just listening and sitting in the space and just saying, yep, I'm with you. And, and then got taken the next step together. You don't have to be the professional in the room. You know, <laughs> first point of call is always support that person to get medical assistance if you're worried. I mean, if you're really, really worried about their mental health, um, if they've said something that your heckles turn up, you go, okay, you know, this sounds really serious right now, but I'm going to come with you and we're going to go and get you the help you need and take them to the hospital, take them to ED and get them assessed by a medical professional or, you know, take them to their GP. With mental health, it can often sit on sort of like a bit of a sliding scale where maybe gradually, gradually things are changing over time. With something like perinatal mental health, is that the same thing with that as well? Or can it be like a switch gets flicked and all of a sudden things quickly change? I mean, I don't think a switch gets flicked overnight, but things can build up as time goes on. But with postpartum psychosis, I mean, that is quite a rare Thing. postpartum psychosis is one of those things that will happen between birth and usually six six to eight weeks after and that will you know be pretty pretty obvious pretty quick that they're going down instead of getting better um perinatal anxiety and depression you know some people do get really really depressed without help um but the most beautiful thing about this is you know you do recover you know people do recover from this but my thing is always to, as soon as, as soon as you start to notice something isn't right, the sooner you seek help, the quicker you're going to recover. That's why, you know, with Radiance, we're always trying to um, educate other people on this because it is something that's nothing to be ashamed of. It is something that we need to talk about more because this affects perinatal anxiety and depression. affects one in five mums, one in five. That's huge. And one in ten dads. So, you know, this is pretty, it's 20%, 20% of women um, and 10% of dads will get this at some point, but they will recover with support, but um, it's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, it can be a part of that hormonal shift with the hormones, but it's not just the hormones, it's everything else. It's the sleep deprivation and, you know, not eating properly and, you know, things like that, not, not doing your normal routine, whatever that looked like before. So it's a, it can be a whole conglomerate of things building up to this. Um, also, it could be a pre-existing, you know, you've always been anxious or you've always had depression, but you might have come off your medication to get pregnant, for example. Um, so it could be a, a whole gamut of things. Birth trauma is huge. So if you have a traumatic birth, you know, there's a lot of pressure to have the perfect birth and you might have this preconceived idea of what your birth's going to look like, but you know, babies are babies and births don't always go to plan. So if you have a traumatic birth or a birth that wasn't what you expected, that can lead to birth trauma, which, you know, 95% of people with perinatal anxiety and depression have had birth trauma. So if, as soon as they talk about that and talk about how they felt about that, that's when they start to heal as well. So it's always good to get the story. You mentioned there with um, dad's, and I often wonder how dads and partners are going and not even necessarily just in that first year or so even throughout the whole time period of where they're children. Um, it's a lot of pressure for the partner as well, right? It's a major shift for them. They're trying to support 
they're the mum. They're going to work and um, they've got that pressure to, um, I suppose, provide for the family. They come home and it's all on. It's still running around doing dinners and bath time and it's <laughs> there's never downtime, off, off time. Um, definitely never off time for the mum, <laughs> but somewhat for the dad as well. It's a, ma- a major shift. Do you get many dads that get in touch um, or how does that come into play with Radiance? Um, most of the time well, so far with the way we support dads is dads usually contact us um, because they're concerned for their partner. They might email us or phone us and just say, you know, I've really noticed this with my partner. How do I get her support? Um, but in doing that, we also ask them, the dad how they're going and what support they're getting. Um, so it's just building up that support network for, for both um, parties. Um, the same with the mums that come to our groups. We always check in and because relationships do come up a lot with the, it's that, once again, it's the unsaid and the unrealistic expectations of what parenting was they thought was going to be like and yeah relationships you know they do change when you became become a parent and I don't think we talk about that enough of how it can change I think the dads really need to get some help as well so there's a really good program called SMS for dads um I always encourage dads um to get on board with that while their partner's pregnant the same as COPE have a um a program for mums they just link up for the program and they get emails or text messages, you know, every couple of weeks just to check in and let them know how they, you know, might be feeling, that kind of thing. But the dad's thing is the same. So I always recommend SMS for dads. And on our website, there's a lot of other um, resources out there for dads as well. There's lots of podcasts and um, Panda do a beautiful thing for dads as well. The Fathering Project's really good. We've got a dad's group in Bustleton that meet every Saturday and they just go for a walk. So just linking them into things and just telling the dads that it's okay and quite normal for them to be feeling this way as well um, and getting them support we need. We've got a really, a few beautiful psychologists um, in the Southwest. Um, There's a couple that are really good with dads as well. So I always recommend them and get them to see them. And when they do, you know, they'll ring back and go, oh my God. I would never have gone and seen that person if you didn't recommend them or said that it was okay to do that, you know. So I think once again, it's normalising it and and saying, you know, you get the help now, you know, it's going to benefit you down the road. You know, it's going to make that transition so much better for you both. Yeah, I think there's maybe that pressure for the dad that they think that they've got to hold the family up. And like I said, this expectation that they've got to support or provide, sorry for the for the family and they've always got to be that big, strong person um, and that they can't be vulnerable, but it's a big shift for both people (laughs) and uh, it's okay for them to be vulnerable and to reach out for help. Definitely. Yes, please do. Because there's definitely a lot of help out there for you. And, you know, that's one of our big visions for Radiance is to, you know, link in with the dad's group more and do events together. We had a dad talk at our last big pram walk and it was just, it was about his experience. His wife had post had had postpartum psychosis and it was his perspective on when she was in hospital, he said it was really interesting that nobody actually asked him how he was doing oh. because she was the one that was really, really ill. 
and she got taken away to hospital and he was going to visit, but he was down here, you know, in Dunsborough and she was up in Perth. But every time he went there, he said, no one really asked me how I was coping, you know, and I was like, wow, we really need to do this better. Yeah. I mean, for that man, he's, um, he's not with his partner. That's one change. And now he's trying to be a father for the first time. There's a lot of, um, yeah, changes there. And they were separated, you know, the mum was in hospital with the baby and he was down here trying to work and then, yeah, it was really hard for him. But um, it was really beautiful that he had the courage to speak up and, you know, it's when people do that, then we go, well, we have to learn from this. We have to do this better. I just want to scoot back a little bit to the three tiers that you had. So we spoke um, the website being the first one and then the third tier, Mum, Baby, Nurture. The second tier you said were the peer-led support groups. What's involved with those? So if a woman wanted to go to one of those, what would it look like for them? Because I know like making that first step can be really scary and um, sometimes women or people just want to know what is it going to be like when I step into that room? What am I going to see? What's what's going to happen? Can you talk us through that? For the support groups, especially now because of COVID and the numbers that we can have in the spaces that we use, everyone's a bit different. So we are... Um, we really want to keep the support groups to those that really need it. So they are, a referral really is required. If a mum does contact me and I always ring them and have a conversation about what kind of support they're needing. So if she hasn't got a referral, then I can be her advocate and get one from her GP or she can find one and get from the GP or the child health nurse. But basically, um, the support groups, they are usually all coming from a referral base. So we get referrals from child health nurses, from GPs, from midwives at the hospital, from the midwifery group practice, um, MGP program, from the mother-baby unit up in Perth, um, social workers at the hospital. They come from all those kinds of um, services. And then, as I said, if a mum wants to self-refer, then I'll always get um, a referral from somewhere that she's also getting support from. So in those support groups, basically they're just greeted into the circle. So when I receive a referral, I send that referral through to the group facilitators and they ring up and follow up with that mum. Sometimes the mum won't always answer the phone. um, So we find texting works really well. And we might text back and forwards, you know, for a while until that mum actually texts us back. Once they text back, then they will usually take a phone call. If they're really, really anxious and you know, you know, they're just like, I, I, I can't come to that group. I can't walk in to a group of women. Our, our groups usually on the max are around 12, 12 mums. If they are really anxious and I can't do that, we'll always meet them outside. We'll meet them a half an hour beforehand. We'll even meet with them before the group, you know, a week before or something before they come if they need to. So we're really, really flexible. And I guess that's the beauty of our service. We can be that flexible. We've got a peer support worker, CJ, that will offer that bit more sort of advocacy service for those mums as well. But once the mum does arrive uh, into the space, you know, she's greeted. It's uh, We also have volunteers in each group as well that, you know, sometimes the mums just walk in and you can just see they don't know what to do with this baby. So we just go, oh, do you want us to hold the baby? Or sometimes they don't want you to touch the baby. So you have to really gauge what that mum wants. But yeah, you're greeted into a circle and you know, you know, you get a warm drink and, you know, we always have a beautiful morning tea and we always sort of hold space with a, uh, we have group rules that the mums have actually made themselves. 
So we always, you know, every time we'll say, you know, this is a really safe space, everything's confidential, there's no judgment, all that kind of thing. So they really know that this is a really safe space to be. And then everyone sort of goes around the circle and just shares how their week's usually been. And then we usually do some kind of little topic of the day. It might just be some, if something comes up in circle, then we'll just say, oh, how did you address that? Or we don't really give advice, but we listen and Sometimes we teach them a few little tools, you know, like managing stress and self-care. And if anything comes up that we are worried about, we'll just say, hey, let's have a chat after group today. You know, or if they're, they don't always have to speak either. You know, they can just say, no, I'm passing for today. And then we'll just get on and we'll have some morning tea. And usually we go outside with the babies and we'll just all have a bit of a chat, a bit of a, you know, wind down. Sometimes we do a bit of breath work and just a bit of movement, a bit of relaxation before we end the day. And then we always say to them, if you, you know, if you want to stay behind and have a chat with us, we're always here. And they know that. So quite often our group goes over time and we'll stay behind and have those one-on-one conversations with anyone that needs it. And we always debrief after group as well to make sure that we're all okay. Especially once they start to feel safe, you know, they really do open up and we really need to make sure that our facilitators are supported in that space as well. Yeah. I can imagine that could be quite um, an emotional um, heaviness sometimes for the support workers as well at times. Once a month, we have to get supervision because we don't want to carry it around. We want to debrief as well because we need to look after ourselves. Of course, you've got to fill your own cup so you can help others. Biggest life lesson. So I want to now just um, do a quick shout out to Radiance and where people can find you guys on social media and your website. Yeah, so we do have the website. So it's www.radiancesouthwest.com.au. We have an Instagram account where people can message through that. And we also have um, a Facebook page as well. So we've got the messenger through that, which quite a few people contact us that way. So on our webpage, there's a contact us now section. So people usually just send an email through there. We're not a crisis service. Um, We don't work 24 hours a day. But as soon as someone gets that message, we always get back to them within 24 to 48 hours of getting that email. We'll always respond. But we are a support service. We're not a crisis service. And if we do get someone reaching out, we'll always recommend the emergency lines like Lifeline, the Mental Health Emergency Response Line, Country Families at Nangala, Pregnancy Birth Bay, so there's all those helplines for them to call. Fabulous. What I'll do is I'll add the links to your website and your social media, but I'll also add the links for the lifelines and all the other hotlines that you mentioned there if people need to reach out for in more crisis situations. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This will be very helpful for a lot of people out there that um, hopefully listen and tune in. And what you're doing is absolutely amazing. And um, we're very lucky here in the Southwest. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. And yeah, if you're needing any support at all, please reach out to us. And we are here and we're listening and we do see you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex. This show was brought to you by Batika Co. 